Welcome to Living a Sex Positive Life, where we can guarantee the topic will be about sex. We'll talk about the good and the bad, the health and healing benefits, the adventures, the relationships, as well as the crimes and the tragedies. Our mission is to educate, entertain, and just talk about that touchy subject that affects us all, sex. Now here's your host, Angelique Luna. Good evening, everyone. This is Angelique Luna, and I'm here with my co-host and hubby, John C. Luna. Good evening, everyone. So tonight's going to be a fun conversation there, because we have Jenny Arrich is the CEO of the National Campaign of Prevent Teen and Unplanned Pregnancies. Prior to taking the helm at the National Campaign, Jenny directed the Childhood Obesity Prevention Profile Portfolio sorry, at the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation and led the foundation's effort to establish a strategic direction for its $500 million investment in ensuring that all children achieve a healthy weight by 2025. Previously, Jeannie spent eight years in the Clinton Foundation, where she served as the founding CEO of the Clinton Health Matters Initiative and long-term CEO of the Alliance for a Healthier Generation. During her tenure at the Alliance for Healthier Generations, Jeannie positioned the organization as a national leader in preventing childhood obesity and started the nation's largest school-based obesity prevention program. Jeannie started her career in the classroom as a health and sexuality educator and has held several state and national leaderships. Also, Dr. Colleen Gerkerwish, sorry, I messed it up, better name as Dr. K, and her hashtag is Ask Dr. K, is a gynecologist in Pittsburgh, which she specializes in family planning. She loves to talk about birth control, whether it's on bedside or dot org or even once a month uh, once on teen mom too she's not when she's not talking about birth control in her spare time dr k could be found with her pack of tiny elderly dogs her rescue chihuahua has more followers than she does on instagram at all day philippe and yes i just checked it out oh my god he is super cute and has his little condo but it's all about bedsiders.org it is a online birth control support network for women 18 to 29 operated by the national campaign to prevent teen and unplanned pregnancies a private nonprofit organization bedsider is not funded by pharmaceutical companies or the government bedsiders is totally independent and the info on its on it is honest and unbiased our goal is to help women to find method of birth control that is right for them and learn how to use it consistently and effectively and that's it right now seven in ten pregnancies among unmarried women 18 to 29 are described by women themselves as unplanned that sounds a lot to us but we hope that bedsiders will be a useful tool for women to learn about their birth control options better manage their birth control and in the process avoid getting pregnant until they're ready Welcome, ladies. I, I know that I, I talk really fast, and that was a mouthful. <laughs> Thanks for having me. This is Jenny. <laughs> Hi, this is Colleen. Yes, thanks. Yeah, I was actually wearing the shirt that I got from you guys from Blog Her to totally support because, wow, we have a lot to talk about, especially like the last 48 hours that we've had World Contraceptive Day and then the Kardashians' unplanned pregnancy. Yes, um, both um, Colleen and I, this is Jenny, uh, we, we love talking about birth control. We um, worship it every day, but yesterday was a special day, given that the world was also worshiping it and celebrating it as a game changer. Yeah, you know, um, it's a little bit embarrassing, but I do online dating, and they always ask, like, what five things can't you live without? And my number one is always my IUD. Um, <laughs> it, I've always been really lucky to have good access to healthcare and doctors that I could trust to help me make good decisions. Um, and I've been really lucky that I've never had to face an unplanned pregnancy, and I definitely have my IUD to thank for that. Yeah, I think a lot of people keep forgetting that not everyone has access to uh, birth control or any kind of. Um, contraceptives for women there just you know certain states like texas to, to name a few <laughs> right yeah 
Yeah, you know, it's funny. We've done, we've, um, you know, at bedsider.org, which I will plug shamelessly because it's um, awesome over, over the course of our time together, there is a birth control finder. So anyone can go to bedsider.org, put in their zip code, and find out about all the clinics in um, their area that um, offer birth control and what they offer and what types of uh, payments they offer, etc. But the the big challenge is that 19 million women in need of publicly funded contraception, meaning women who are living on lower or limited incomes, do not have access to the full range of methods in their counties. So that means that um, if a woman wants an IUD in many parts of Texas or Nebraska or other parts of the country, uh, she but needs to figure out. PA. I'm sorry? I said there's even parts of PA. Yeah, all over the it's country. It's not like it's only I mean, 19 million women. Yeah, it's, it's everywhere. Um, um, and, and the reality is is that these women have to figure out how to navigate not only getting a health care appointment, which can be challenging in and of itself, but taking time off work where they might not get paid for it. They have to figure out child care if they already have a kid. They have to figure out transportation. They have to figure out what to tell a partner who may or may not want them to have an IUD. So... It's not as easy to get as we need it to be. Um, we, we at the campaign believe it should be growing on trees and that every woman should be able to get it, what she needs, within 60 minutes of where she lives. Yeah, that's very important. Uh, I mean, the, mm-hmm. No, and just access is so important. You know, I've been practicing medicine long enough that I can say in my day. But, you know, in the olden days, pre-ACA, Women had huge out-of-pocket costs. Um, you know, we're lucky that we've had the ACE. I have a generation of trainees that, you know, young doctors that I've been training that have never known in America where you have a high out-of-pocket cost for something like an IUD so that women can make their birth control decision based on the method that's right for them, you know, not based on cost. And, you know, I don't think it's a surprise that we've been seeing IUD use come up. You know, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of factors why IUD use has been increasing. Um, a lot of it is better education for doctors and patients. Um, but I also think there's a huge cost issue um, that we've been able to break down with the ACA. And every day we talk about the ideas of how we could take that away. And, you know, it's always a funny thing. People in my life, like, you know, my dad will say, Colleen, why do you got to be so political? And I don't, you know, I want to talk about birth control. But... People keep trying to make birth control illegal or less access. You know, if birth control wasn't a political issue, then I wouldn't have to be political. <laughs> Amen, sister. I'm with you right there because that it goes into if you don't have birth control, then you have to go with an abortion because you don't want the child. So which is the lesser of two evils, having the birth control or having the, the abortion? Yeah, well, the I mean, reality is not a bad option, but, you know, um, it's, I, I think the main thing is that you know, women are half of our society. And in order for women to be, you know, fully functional members of our society, you need to know when you are and aren't going to be pregnant. And and I think the irony is, is that, you know, the politicians continue to argue about birth control, but the reality is that um, everybody loves birth control if they're not yes. in an elected office. That's the crazy thing. Like, the vast majority of adults agree that birth control should be a basic part of women's health care, and that includes Republicans and it includes Democrats. And guess what? 99% of women who have sex with men use birth control at some point in their lives. So it's popular. People love it. Yet we fight about it, and it doesn't make any sense. There is no common sense to it Unless whatsoever. Unless you have 20 kids, you've used it. Newsflash. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, like, say, like, do you come from a family of 20 kids? Then your parents used it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's funny to think about. It's uncomfortable to think about, but it's, we all do it. And yeah, and, and back in the olden days, I mean, we put a man in the moon in this country. We put a man on the moon in this country before we made birth control legal for women, all women, regardless of marital status in the U.S. Think about that. We put a man in the moon, which is awesome, but perhaps not something that affects the vast majority of half the, po- you know, the, the majority of half the population plus the rest of the population because it's, you know, it takes two to tango. Um, yeah, we're still fighting about this in some right. little limited 
camp. Yeah, but I think with the... Oh, as like I was just going to say, the whole man in the moon thing, it was because it was male egos. It was Russia to get America, you know, who could get the first person there. So if maybe if we do the same right. thing with birth control, you know, ego train, we could probably have, you know, birth control available through America if it was against another country. Just saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Make it a competition. There's an idea. <laughs> I mean, it, it is just so amazing that yeah that this, this is an issue and that that more women aren't outraged that it is an issue but i think that goes back to the point that you know i'm lucky enough that if my access was taken away and i had a copay i could afford it and a lot of my friends could and that's um, a blessing that i have um but you know i think our women whose access is going to be taken away are not the ones whose voices are traditionally heard that's really unfortunate but those are my mm-hmm. patients I'm always amazed by the statistics that they quote how um, health insurance, again, not public, but private, will have an easier time paying for a Viagra than they would for certain, you know, for birth control. And I always found that absolutely amazing because, first of all, it incurs the cost of, obviously, the birth, which is going to cost the insurance company even more. But it's... It won't, though, right? Um, Because most women... The majority of women who bear the burden of unplanned pregnancy are poor women of color. And so if they get pregnant, they will lose their job and go on public assistance. So the insurance company will not pay for it. The government pays for it because the woman loses her job because there's no pregnancy protection in this country. Oh, wow. That's, that's why they do it, right? That's why, like, for example, they only will give you one month of birth control pills at a time. And I'm like, it is not a controlled substance. You know, every major organization <laughs> considers birth control safety. Um, and you know, like birth control safety to be on the level of over-the-counter medication. And safety-wise, um, contraceptive pills would very easily qualify for over-the-counter status if it wasn't such a hot-button issue. Um, there's no medical reason not to dispense 12 packs at a time, 30 packs at a time. Like, what do you think you're going to do with it, birth control? I, um, I, I've never heard of anyone abusing it. Exactly. Right. Yeah, but if you get pregnant and you lose your insurance, you lose your job and you go on public assistance, the insurance company doesn't have to pay for it. That's a win for them. And, um, you know, from a public perspective, every dollar um, spent on publicly funded contraception saves $7. So it's a great public investment. It's a great private sector investment. But, you know, um, as, as Colleen says, you know, the way in which people go on and off different um, private payers uh, plans, they don't see the savings or realize the savings um, and don't think of it as a collective impact issue. But from a public investment perspective, if we invest in um, affordable, no-cost ac- affordable no cost access to contraception, we are ultimately making a good investment. And we're not only making a good investment in dollars and cents because women are people and young people and children are people. So it's a good investment in making sure that everybody can live their best life story as well. And live life on their own terms. What is it like 40% of American households are either have women as their primary or sole breadwinner? And so again, when you think about a mom you know, um, being able to decide how many kids she has or when's a good time to have a third or fourth, you know, it's nice for her to be able to you know, do her work-life-family balance. And without, you know, being able to balance her, um, you know, her kind of work-life-family balance and not have kids when she wants, it's so important to, like, her and her whole family. Um, which is why, like, I'm so glad that you guys invited me here today, by the way. Um, just because I always find that there's so many of my patients that have these like birth control myths and misconceptions that prevent them from getting the care they need. And, you know, I know that my patients always come to things like a podcast or the internet before they come to me. So I was like super pumped. I was really hoping we were going to get to talk about like some myths or like some questions tonight. Oh, yeah. I said it's free range. Whatever you guys want to talk about, go for it. I'm loving the passionate conversation. I'm just sitting back and listening. I'm like, oh, this is yeah, a good one. Fun. It's like, go for it. <laughs> And, and the thing I is, could is get into the weeds with policy. 
yeah, I'm like the wonky one here, but the reality is is that if you think about everyday women, women, real women, the other nice thing about birth control is it makes sexual experience better because it's less, they're not worrying, right? If they're not intending to get pregnant and they have a reliable method of birth control that they're using effectively, they have less to worry about and they can just enjoy the experience. And that's important too. And they feel like they have control over what they're doing with their lives in that moment. I mean, look, reproductive coercion is real. Who is that couple? I'm not like the best celebrity thing, but there was that couple last week who they had this like funny viral video of him flushing her pills. And I was. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was Ian Summerhall. I lost my. Yeah, I lost my shit on that one, too, because I have loved him as an actor. And for him to do that, I was like, oh, that's the biggest scum of the earth. I don't care how much of a good actor is. You don't do that. That's her choice. If she wants to take the birth control or not, not your choice. I'm sorry. Oh, I just lost it there. Yeah. And then there was this whole cover like, oh, he didn't mean it. He didn't mean it. It was just a joke. Yeah. There's nothing funny about abuse. Mm-mm. You know, and, and the fact is that reproductive coercion is so common, you know, and it's, and it's, it can be subtle. It can be, you know, refusing to wear a condom, taking a condom off in the middle. It's rarely as overt as flushing pills and filming it, but it does happen to everyone and it does affect everyone. You know, I, I was telling a friend of mine about this. Um, Jenny, you probably remember a little while ago, maybe like a year or so ago. I did this article with Vice Magazine where, like, they read me rapper lyrics to see, like, what body part they were talking about or something. And, of course, <laughs> in the course of it, what they were describing was reproductive coercion um, and, and contraceptive sabotage, like, in these lyrics that talked about vaginas. Um, but they were using, like, funny words for vaginas. And that was supposed to be the point of the article. The article was not supposed to be about coercion. But anyway, I was telling a friend of mine about that, and she said, well... Isn't that just for poor people? <laughs> like, no, it happens to everybody. Um, and I think, you know, the fact that it happens even to this powerful millionaire actress underscores the point that intimate partner violence can happen to anyone. Reproductive coercion can happen to anyone. And so making sure that, you know, it, it reminds me as a doctor to make sure that my patient can really make her own decision. Um, you, know, you know, there's always these yeah. ideas of like, can we bring men? Like, how can we get men more involved in birth control? And like, look, I, I know there's a man on the call. I support men. I love men for better or for worse. But you know, uh, I think on the other hand, when I know that my patients are most likely to not have a great and supportive partner like you seem to be, um, you know, and they're more likely to have a partner like that dude on the internet that flushes the pills, um, it's it's, it's a hard balance for me as a doctor. I never know, like, what... I try to make sure my patient yeah. is safe. Well, and I, I think about this a lot because I, you know, we focus on making sure that young people and young women in particular have the power side if, when, and under what circumstances get pregnant. And that's about agency. And it's amazing how many women, because of what we're seeing in popular media, their own personal life experiences, don't understand that they own their bodies. And so it's like we have to not, we ha- we've been, um, you know, I will speak for myself. I've been fortunate enough in my lifetime to have always believed that. Um, and I know that not everyone's, just like um, Colleen talked about being fortunate enough to access healthcare, I, I know that I own my body. That's not the reality for many women across the country or world. And so we, we have to kind of take a step back sometimes from where our privilege is and really understand um, the lived experience of many women. And uh, that being said, we need to focus on them so they own their bodies because what we've learned through talking with guys in many different settings is to get to the men, you have to get to their women. Because men kind of appropriately rely on women reliable information about these issues because they think they know more than men and while <laughs> we don't want that to be the end game the reality is that, that, that that's actually true and oh. to defend men just a little bit men who yeah, are yeah, men who are conscientious people who are on the right side of this issue are like 
Well, everyone wants me to be involved in birth control, but, you know, I also want to respect that a woman owns her body and her decision, so how can I be involved without taking over the decision? So, you know, we have to, like, um, help men understand how to be, who are very conscientious, because there are a lot of them, how to be good, supportive partners and act involved without making the calls or feeling like, you know, because some men, I think, really um, in a positive way want to honor women's ownership of their bodies and their choices around um, reproduction and around um, birth control, and then they get a bad rap for not being involved in birth control. So I think we have to figure out what that looks like and help men understand what it means to be supportive without being overbearing and flushing birth control pills down the toilet. I'm so glad you said all that. I actually, when I was just going to say when, for our family planning, when it came down to it, uh, we weren't going to have any, uh, any more children. Um, I volunteered and went to the doctor and got snipped because it's a lot less involving than going out. However, after it was done and I wasn't quiet about it, I was okay. I have time off from work. Oh, is everything okay? Yeah, I got snipped. The responses actually surprised me of, well, she could have done it, as if that was the default. And I'm like, but for her, it's going to be a lot more involved, and I don't want to put my wife through it. But the truth is, it it is exactly what you're saying, whether it's insensitive, uh, and I don't want to say it's wrong, but um, it was the, well, why doesn't she have it done? As if that's the default. That's amazing that people would say that to your face. Rude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's so funny that there's something about women's bodies that is public. How many times, like, someone has a baby and the first thing they say was, "Was your birth vaginal?" You're like, "Why are you talking right. about your vagina right now?" Like, <laughs> why is that so? I can't believe people would question your decision that you made together with your wife and your family. I'm sorry, you had to go through that. That is BS. I've been through worse. Well, I think it's also, yeah, I think, you know, the thing that gets me to that point is that I I actually have never been pregnant myself, but I've had so many friends and acquaintances and colleagues who've been pregnant. And when I watch people just, without asking, just grab people's stomachs, I'm like, what are you doing? That's the thing that's, it's like, I'm like, I'm, even though I've never personally experienced it, I'm so offended by that because it's it just like there's this assumption, to your point, that we just own women's bodies, especially if they are yeah. pregnant. Yeah. So, I, I re- <laughs> oh, I know. I remember giving so, dirty looks to my friends as soon as their hands were reaching out. I'm like, don't you even think about it. Don't you dare. Get your baby in there. Don't your baby without you saying so. It's still my personal space. Uh, I don't care. Yeah. Or your belly, right? If you're like skin, you're like, okay, you wouldn't just grab my belly un- under different circumstances without asking, right? Right? Yeah. So it is really funny that, like, it is not politically correct to talk about birth control. Um, I remember um, there, there was a time in my life that I was married, and um, I told I was having beers with my, a friend of my dad's. Um, and he's like, oh, when are you getting married? And I was like, it was like less than a year. It was like nine months away. And he said, oh, are you pregnant? And I said, I have an IUD. And he's like, that's gross. I told you it was in my uterus. Um, also, there's a beer in my hand. So probably I'm not pregnant. Um, <laughs> How much of an irresponsible daughter did he thought you were if you're drinking and pregnant? I was like, what? It was just funny. He, looked, he literally looked like he was going to throw up when I said I had an IUD. Wow. Um, so this is really funny. As far as I know, and, and you guys you guys are probably better at celebrities than I am, I feel like I'm okay at birth control news. I only know of one celebrity that's open about using an IUD. Do you guys know any? I no. can't say I do. No, I, I, I know more when they announce that they're unplanned pregnancy or they're pregnant, but not anything about their birth control. Right. Jenny, do you know the one? I think so, but I'm not going to put myself on the line, but I think I do know who it is. And well, listen, the right only that's... person that I know that has an IUD is Angelina Jolie. Yeah. 
Right, but she is menopausal. She's using it for um, cancer protection. Because it, cause it's funny. It's like a gynecology joke. The, I, the Marina IUD does everything. It's kind of like, it's like a joke among doctors. Because you're like, heavy bleeding, Marina, cramps, Marina, endometriosis, Marina, pre-cancer, Marina. Even <sighs> cancer of the uterus, Marina dissolves it. It's like... It's like a joke that you could like to make. It's a wonder thing. Yeah, it cooks, it cleans, it does everything. (laughs) (laughs) They like make fun. Like, I went to the doctor myself, and you used to like list your meds, and I listed my marina, and they were like, oh, ha ha ha, you got to call it this in your marinas, because like we all have them. Well, I think that's, you know, every. Every day is thanks birth control day, and and we actually, if if um, you know, I think, and it goes back to an earlier point, and I'll stop being wonky right after this. But the reality is, is that we're in a really fragile time. So everything we're talking about in terms of taking, you know, um, um, you know, having the privilege of having birth control is pretty fragile right now, given the environment that we're in. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. I. I was three years old when the Supreme Court said all women should have access to birth control. So I had all the older women in my life, all my mentors saying, do you know what I did for you? Do you know what I did for you? So it's cognizant to me that like I have had the power to decide my future. I can be a CEO. I can do these things that weren't possible for women. Guess what? There was not one CEO of a Fortune 500 company before birth control was available to all women in this country. I have all that because of the women who fought to make that happen for me and for all of us on the phone and in this podcast. I think that that is something that women now who grew up in a time that don't remember what a VCR tape is. <laughs> haven't had to experience, and so or dial-up internet. <laughs> right now, it's their reality, and or potentially. So we need to get women activated for themselves. Act, get their friends on board for whatever their friends want to do. Make sure they're aligning their intentions with intentional behavior, and you know. But they also, we also need to be recognize that we have to like actually fight for this again because otherwise we could be in really not the place that we've all been lucky enough to be in on this on this um in this conversation but i often see it oops sorry that i have to go back to i mean i just it it literally like i I lay awake at night and like stare at the ceiling and just get like so nervous about possibly going back to a practicing medicine where women have to like pay up to a thousand dollars out of pocket to get the best birth control and so they're like well maybe i can get it together in like six or eight months and they're trying to finagle it and then before that they have their third baby it's like oh so tragic it is it's just like i think we kind of forget that we go in cycles to fight for our birth control to fight for our women's rights for bodies because if you look at it it's almost every like 15 to 20 years we're having some kind of political battle in order to protect our own rights it's ridiculous i mean why aren't we just constantly doing that mm-hmm. right i mean when can we just be done when can we just be equal well, it really seems like um, the administration always wants control, and they grasp for it any way they can. Whether it's in you know our education, now they it's the healthcare, it, it's it's just mm-hmm. another method um, of of trying to control us. And I know we're talking specifically about contraceptive. Um, my experience uh, was going on a drug called Truvada, which is an HIV preventative medication. And I went to a doctor and mentioned it, um, and they basically came out and said, I've heard of it. And I had to actually switch doctors to go to a different doctor who was familiar with it, was familiar with patients who who were on it. And then a year later, my insurance switched with my job, and they considered it a different, I don't know if it's a class of drug or whatever. And I went through about four months of arguing with them every other week on the phone just to keep the prescription going. You know, I can't even, I'm like, I'm getting fired up. I had a patient last week who applied for life insurance 
And so, like, I guess they, she, like, gave them her medical records. And she was assaulted and took post-exposure prophylaxis. And so because there was HIV meds in her medical history, they were denying her life insurance coverage. Oh, wow. Is that illegal? Right. Uh, yeah. Single mom with three kids. And, you know, she's like, oh, you know what? I think it'd be really smart if I had life insurance coverage because I have three kids. Like, they're, she's not lucky enough to have a dad that's involved. Um, but, yeah, like, at some point a couple years ago, so, you know, she was she got a hold of me to ask, you know, she kind of knows me as someone who will look scrappy. Like, you know, like, what can you do? Um, yeah. I, I just, like, I, I can't even, like, make a word about that without, like, totally making your podcast, like, beep, 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 beep. Oh, it's all right. No, no, no. We- go ahead. It's already explicit. That's why I said go for it. You could say whatever you want. <laughs> we make sure it's rated NC-17. I'm my best self over here. Um, <laughs> you know, but, I mean, that's ridiculous. Like, you know, there's so much stigma and shame around anything that has to do with sex. To the point that, yeah, like, if you're raped, then you can't get life insurance for your three kids. Then who's going to take care of those three kids? You know, put them in the foster system. I mean, at least you're thinking of the kids. You're setting things up. You're being right. responsible. A good mom. Right. And they're telling right. her that because one time she was raped and did the right thing and went to the hospital and got the exposure prophylaxis, that now she's not a candidate for life insurance. Oh, dog, don't that's, that's unbelievable. Right. Right, no, I definitely, like, watched it. I am really lucky to have access to a great group of attorneys around here um, who are able to help us out, but it's just, it's uncomfortable. Extremely. I'm just a huge fan of insurance Insurance companies are not here to help us. Oh, no, no, no. They they take your money, and then they try not to give it back to you. That's their job. Their job is to take your money and then keep it. That's called an insurance company. Whether it's life insurance or health insurance, Oh, yeah. I know when we switched over insurance companies, it, it was a nightmare because we had one insurance company that supported mental health um, coverage, and the new insurance company wouldn't. So instead of switching therapists, we had to pay higher out-of-pocket. And it's just like, really? Why? It's just... This is just important because I, I'm a firm advocate of, like, sexual pleasure has to come with mental health and body and spirit. And it's just like, ah, oh. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I don't want to steer the subject too much, but someone mentioned something about contraceptive myths, which got my mind going. Yeah. And I want to hear about them. Oh, yeah, definitely. Clarify those. Oh, my God. Um... What's, yeah, what's your favorite? Holly, what's your favorite? What is my favorite? Um, I mean, I just, every day I think I've heard it all and then I hear a new one. Um, <laughs> so what's the latest and greatest? Let's start from there. <laughs> um, so probably the most common is the weight thing, right? And I think, you know, kind of speaking to women's bodies being public property, and weight gain and weight loss and body image and, you know, sort of this idea that you need to keep your body a certain way to keep your man, X, Y, Z. Um, so this idea that birth control causes weight gain is, is largely untrue. Um, when, you know, the fact is that, you know, when we look at things like um, combined hormonal contraception, so the pill patch ring, 10 million American women use it. That means I have data coming out my ears. I have so much science and so much numbers. Like, you know, I, I can tell you for a fact that combined hormonal contraception does not, on average, cause weight gain. But that means women who use the pill are no different than women who don't use the pill. And that means that sometimes people gain weight and sometimes people lose weight and sometimes people stay the same. And it doesn't matter if you're on the pill or not. Um, the only contraceptive method that's been shown to cause weight gain when we look at large groups of women um, is the depot shot. Yes. And, and, <laughs> but here's the thing. With the depot shot, one out of ten women gain weight. It's not water weight. It's not pumping you up. It's not blowing you up. 
it, it, some women's appetite is stimulated by the progestin um, that's in Depo-Provera. And so if you're one of those one out of 10 women, um, the average weight gain is about 10 to 20 pounds. Um, and so it's not, you know, in women, like I, I have patients that have lost weight on Deborah Provera. Like again, I'm sitting here like eating ice cream while I'm talking to you out, like out of a pint, like with a spoon. Um, <laughs> not, I'm not even using a bowl, right? So I've had friends that have like stopped their period on Deborah Provera and lost 25 pounds because they stopped sitting around eating pints of ice cream all day um, when they're on their period. And I'm like, huh, look at that. Um, but, you know, and so there's, there's this idea that, you know, it might make you gain weight and so that you don't want to use it and hormones are bad. And, and Judy, you probably know that I like, I hate the word hormonal. Um, I like really, really hate it. And it like drives me up a wall just because it's like such, it's just like derogatory term. Um, you know, that like hormones are bad hormones are bad women are hormonal and it's really used to keep women down right um and right so that all of that or say they're right, not capable like, right right but like there's a time of the month that i'm rational and the time of the month that i'm not Thank you um because right. like actually i haven't ovulated since the 90s um but, you know, it's definitely the hero there like you know it's but like what if i was you know um, that still wouldn't be the explanation of why you're pissing me off. Um, it's like, it's, it's really unfortunate that a lot of this cultural um, anti-feminist sentiment regarding hormones bleeds over into contraception, which also works by using hormones. And it really prevents a lot of women from using it. And, you know, again, you hear partners. I had, I had a woman's partner drag her into my office because he thought that her birth control was making her too hormonal. Um, and, and it came to pass, and they were in my office together with their two kids, and it came to pass that he basically was forced to be abusive to her at certain times of her month, and he needed me to fix it. Oh. That's just wrong on several levels. I just can't believe he tried to justify that. Right, but again, but this is, but this is common. Like, Certainly that's an extreme example, um, and it's one of like my more extreme examples. Like obviously I've seen thousands of patients in my life and not six in my mind. Um, but it's not that different. It's different degree, but not kind um, in the sort of criticisms that I've heard. You know, I've been in relationships where, you know, ever since you've been on that Uber ring, your hips have been wider. By the way, I'm tiny. Um, it's just, but like, even if I wasn't, it's like, I guess you just said that to me. You're like, I don't know, I've just been on that new ring. Also, it's, this is a partner I've been with for years and years. So like, we started dating when I was 19 and then I was 25. Like, your body changes over that time. I will not always be a teenager, as it turns out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like, oh, I've just been on that new ring with your hips. Ew. You know, there, there's lots of, different ways that we demonize hormones and women and it ends up bleeding back into birth control and preventing a lot of women from getting the birth control they need. So the sort of like hormones as bad myth, I've heard every different version of that. I think that is so, I think that is so important in terms of this mythology because what, what we know is women listen to other women about their birth control. So it becomes a sample size of one, right, experience, um, and perception versus reality. And it gives all hormonal methods in particular, but all methods a bad rap for crazy reasons. And so I think that's a question, like how do we debunk these myths? And how do we... Well, like um, I said, I won't use the word hormonal yeah. method or contraception. Right. I don't like the word right. hormonal. I, and I know it's all over bedside, or I know we've gone back and forth on this. But I won't, you know, I don't use the word hormonal contraception. A, because it's not even a useful term. I know it's everywhere, but but I don't use it. Yeah, Um, I think it's just in the chatter. How do we change, how do we change, like, the personal experience narrative, right? Because birth control is a journey, right? We all, all of us who've used birth control have used different methods depending upon our life circumstances, what, what what works best for our bodies, right? All sorts of different 
things. And so the question is, you know, it's not, and for some reason, though, we say, oh, this is good or bad, and we vilify methods like hormonal methods or other methods versus just saying, it didn't work for me. So how do we change that narrative? I don't know the answer, but we have to do it because otherwise, um, you know, as, you know, another myth is that, well, you know, there are a lot of, really there's a lot of mythology about IUDs. Same thing. So how do we change that? I don't know. Well, that's we what I'm to. saying. Like, to say that, like, yeah. To group all methods that contain a hormone into this, like, fake yeah. term called hormonal contraception is not helpful, right? Because I have patients that do not like taking a birth control pill. And for many people, they feel great on a birth control pill. And a lot of people do not like how they feel on a birth control pill. And so based on that, they say, well, I can't have any, I can't have any hormones in my body. And I'm like, I can't have any hormones, no methods of any hormones. And, and they kind of equate, you know, the quote-unquote hormonal IUD, and this is why I won't use the term. Because they say, well, I was on hormonal pills, and I did terrible, so I can't have a hormonal IUD. And, and they have this idea that, like, an IUD is nothing but sticking a birth control pill in your uterus, and why the fuck would you do that? Because um, it didn't go well when I swallowed it. Um, you know? <laughs> and so, um, and, and of course, to me, that's, like, you know, that, that sounds like a really reasonable thought process. You know, like, it sucked when I swallowed hormones, so why would you shove it through my vagina into my uterus? Like, nope. Um, and that is where a lot of unplanned pregnancies come from. You know, when, when it right. turns out that birth control pills and, and even an IUD, a quote-unquote hormonal IUD, couldn't be more different. You know, with a birth control pill, it has estrogen and progesterone, and you swallow it through your stomach, and then it gets filtered through your kidney and your liver and your intestines and your bloodstream, and a little bit gets down to your ovaries, and sometimes it suppresses your ovulation, and sometimes it doesn't, and one out of ten people will get pregnant, which, like, doesn't sound like the greatest idea. And I'm not, like, anti-pill. Like, you know, plenty of my patients use it, and plenty of my patients love it. But when you break down thinking about a pill, you're like, really? That's a terrible idea. You know, versus, like, a progestin IUD, which is the term I like to use, um, like a marina, or what other people might call it a hormonal IUD. It only has progesterone. It has no estrogen. It goes into your uterus. That means it doesn't spread all over your body. It goes to where it works. Um, it doesn't go really anywhere that it doesn't work, and it's not meant to have side effects in your whole body for that whole reason. But, you know, a lot of my patients, like, don't really think of it that way, and why would they? You know, when we have this narrative of, like, hormones are bad and birth control has hormones, and these are hormonal methods. Well, unfortunately. They don't like it, you know. When we have a subject like this in which people are uncomfortable talking about, they tend to make assumptions based on very limited information. And thereby, they apply the logic which would normally work in other situations. You know, I'm allergic to shellfish. Okay, don't eat shellfish. Um, and they apply it in a way that could be logical, but they don't, they're missing all the facts. And I hate to say it, it, it's on the podcast like us, but it's also got, it, got to be difficult for you as a doctor to have to pull this conversation along for those who, who need it but don't, don't want to have it. Well, and, and, and talk and to and 12 different friends before they get to you with different with bad information, right? They talk to 12 different right. friends. They're like, well, so-and-so had this, so-and-so had this. And the reality is like, yeah, but your body is unique, right? Like, what works right. for and your friend? Like, you're right, girl. Who owns the worst? And you're like, you have ovaries. You have hormones every goddamn day. And they're not bad. Like, you know, and, and so, yeah, I, I get, like, super jazzed up about that. Um, but I also, and, and, and I think it's good that the days of doctors being right are over. The days of, you know, I have never had a patient come to me and say, you know, I was thinking about using birth control. What do you think is the best for me? Can you tell me my options? That has never happened. That will never happen. I will never have that conversation. Um, and even a lot of medical education still acts like that conversation is going to happen. Um, <laughs> I have medical students that believe that one day they're going to have that conversation with a patient. And I'm like, oh, honey, um, you know, your patients own a phone. They have Google. They will Google it the same as you will. You know, and again, they will talk to their friends. They'll talk to their mom. They'll talk to their great aunt, next-door neighbor's best friend who had a baby that was born with an IUD in their hand, which is not even a thing that could ever happen. But every single patient knows someone who knows someone who had a baby born with an IUD in their hand. 
but that can't even happen. Um, which is a great myth. Uh, it's, it's, it, I hear that about once a day. Um, but that's just not a thing. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it is a funny thing. I did have a, a, um, a friend one time who did get pregnant while she was using an IUD. And that's extremely rare. Um, again, it's, it's, you're more likely to get pregnant after a tubal ligation than you are with an IUD. So it is really rare. Wow. And this friend of mine was in healthcare and knew how rare it was. Um, and she got pregnant with an IUD and decided to continue her pregnancy. And so when her baby was born and they had their like newborn picture, she stuck an IUD in her baby's hand and took pictures of it because she thought it was really funny. Oh my God. Um, you're just sort of like, not like funny as a fact, but just sort of like embracing the ridiculousness of life. You know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she got um, so much negativity. Um, you know, just sort of people like backlashing and saying like, oh, you know, you're saying your baby was unwanted and this and that. Um, and I think we, you know, before we start today, we were talking a little bit about unplanned pregnancy. And just because an unplanned, just because a pregnancy is unplanned does not mean it's unwanted or unloved, right? Like, you know, you can not have planned for a pregnancy and then be pregnant. And, and I will always say no one should be ashamed to bring life into this world. And, and my friend, you know, had her baby with, even though she was pregnant with an IUD, it was just like one in a million bazillion chance. And she went with it, and she embraced the ridiculousness that is life, you know, and the, the chaos that is life, and kind of celebrated that by taking a picture of a baby with an IUD in their hand, and also to sort of, like, nod to that, like, myth, like, this thing that's never happened. <laughs> I'm sorry. I would embrace that because that is hysterical. If we, right. sweetie, if we had a child with you on an IUD, I would be like, I have super sperm. Oh yeah, that totally. We, we, to- we totally, <laughs> all against all odds, got through. And you should start right. buying lottery tickets too. Right? <laughs> <laughs> lottery tickets. Yeah, and volcano insurance. Right. When I have a patient that has a one in a million thing, I always say, go get a lottery ticket, and if you win, we get to split it. But, uh, but I would never really split it. I would not take my patients out money. Um, but no one's ever done it, or no one's ever won. <laughs> well, you it's like... like... If you're going to have something crazy happen, you don't want to make light of a complication. Obviously, the complication, I wouldn't. So if it's one of those things, like, you have something medically crazy happen to you, there's a good time to buy a lot of tickets. Well, it all depends on your relationship with the person as well. But the, the one thing I joke about is I'm colorblind. And that, of course, rides on the X chromosome. And a very, very small percentage of women are colorblind, which is a good thing because you guys like fashion a lot more than us, usually. I'm not trying to make a generalization. But I met a colorblind woman once. I'm like, you seriously need to buy, you know, you should buy a lot of tickets every week because that is one in a million. And, and we laughed about it. It wasn't a stressful thing. Yeah, right? It's, yeah, it's so funny how much really negativity can come out there that is just not necessary. Um, I don't like to have negativity in my life. <laughs> there's just so much. I mean, obviously, there's plenty of negativity in the world. I try not to be mean. Well, sometimes you there's have to so people time. could listen because I know it's like sometimes I, I don't get a lot of coaching clients just because I'm very truthful and honest and I'm not going to sugarcoat anything. So either you work with me and accept the fact I'm going to be a hard coach on you or go find yourself a life, light and fluffy you know, coach that will like, you know, listen to you and not. I'm like, no, 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 no. You, you got to know the truth. You got to face the reality. It hurts. And let's move on and work on it. <laughs> That's actually really great. I definitely had a therapist once who I went to for a while. And I felt like I was just being cheerleaded. And it was very nice. It was very kind. But I was like, mm, I don't need a cheerleader. I have a best friend for that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Your therapist is supposed to be someone who's going to, who's, who, how would you put it, isn't emotionally invested in you and can tell you the stuff that probably will hurt, but you need to hear. Right, right. And I was like, there, it can't be true there's nothing to say. It can't be true that my choices are all great choices. I know they're not. Oh. So, 
Awesome. Ladies, we're almost to our time. How could everyone find you? Because this conversation has been passionate and so much fun. I love it. Thank you. Um, so, probably so, the best way to find me is through Bedsider. Yep, and, and to shamelessly plug, plug Bedsider. If, 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 if you want to take care of your own health or give your friends some really good advice and really be great champions for your friends, go to Bedsider.org. And we also have a campaign for those who want to take it a step further and say, I care about my birth control, and I want everybody to have it, and I want everybody to love it and talk about it and celebrate it. It's called Thanks Birth Control. We have um, every day Thanks Birth Control Day, but we have a special day on November 15th, and we want people to don their Thanks Birth Control hats, T-shirts, emojis, digital postcards, gifts, everything, and get activated to make sure that every woman in this country can get the birth control method that's right for her if she doesn't want to get pregnant right now. If she does, awesome. You know, there's a whole nother kind of, you know, um, um, thing that she can do to take care of herself. But if she doesn't want to get pregnant, get her birth control, go to bedsider.org, and make sure to spread the love so that everyone has it. And they can go to um, bedsider.org for that and look for Get Activated and Thanks Birth Control. Awesome there. Ladies, again, thank you for your time. Thank you for this passionate conversation. I love it. I love it. Um, you can find us everywhere on Living a Sex Positive Life. We'd like to thank our sponsors. Actually, now we got another one. We got Kink Crate. Um, it is a monthly BDSM subscription box. Always has something fun and new to help. It has a beginner's to an, an expert level choice. So you have choices there. With the holidays coming up, it is a great holiday present for your loved ones to spend Spice up your life. We also have the local BDSM dungeon, the Witch at Orlando, who is actually hosting a consent workshop this weekend, teaching you how to maneuver consent in your relationship and your daily life so you're able to communicate. And if you want to reach me, uh, I'm John C. Luna on Facebook, Twitter, and even FetLife. Reach out, say hi, and drop us your opinion. Yes, and please like, subscribe, and write a review. We need reviews, please, on uh, on the uh, iTunes, so that way people could hear this message and share it with everyone. Have a good night, everyone. Great, later. Bye. Have a good night. Thank you.